The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Storr. And I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 116. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm okay, but I'm worryingly watching the skies of Sheffield. Yeah, you are in the middle of a UFO flap, you were saying off air, and I I have to know more. Tell me before you are abducted and hopefully for my amusement probed. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we've got a bit of a strange situation going on. There was... Two consecutive days last week, we had a loud bang heard at 9pm on two consecutive days. Okay. So the local paper, being rather um, surprisingly good this time, because we don't have the best local paper, shall we say? Um, I was going to say, the English media <laughs> the English media playing anything down is, is unusual. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, decided to actually do some investigating and contacted oh. the RAF. And the RAF said, no, we've not been doing any flyovers. Nobody's broken the sound barrier. It wasn't a sonic boom. So the next main thing is obviously the steelworks, Sheffield Steel. And uh, obviously we've got some rather large forges here. Once again, it was a negative. There was no storms. But the thing is, you're not really going to have thunder that occurs at 9 p.m. on two consecutive days, really, are you? But then a photo has arrived of oh. a strange tire-shaped object flying through the sky in the same area. Oh, um, shit. And then we've had a couple of reports of strange lights being seen the other day. So, yes. Things are afoot in Sheffield. Indeed. I love that we've gone from machete-wielding madmen in the streets of Sheffield. <laughs> you know, they've taken a day off. They've sort of tagged in, they've tagged in Zoltar from Planet X. Yes, I, Absolutely. You, your city never is boring, Paul. Never once. <laughs> well, to be fair, in the world of 14 events, we, we tend to not have much happen these days. Obviously, we've got a few ghosts wandering about and stuff like that, but we don't have big black cat sightings or strange objects spotted. We're not a really a UFO hotspot, which is a bit odd because the Peak District, there's loads, but they don't tend to travel over Sheffield for some reason. But ironic, obviously, you know, I saw something very strange in 2010 above the, the the skies of Sheffield that I still can't explain to this day. So who knows? Okay, well, now you got to tell me what that is. You can't right. just leave me hanging like that. <laughs> so in 2010, I was sat upstairs listening to the radio 
and I got my blind up and my window open because it was quite a nice warm evening. And I noticed this bright light just there. And it was really quite big and it caught my attention straight away. And I thought, well, that's odd. I watched it for a little bit and I'm thinking, what the hell is that? Wasn't making any noise or anything, but it was a ball of fire. Oh, Jesus. And it was just, you could see the flames on it. It was incredible. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, what the bloody hell is going on here? So being the the, uh, balanced investigative person that I am, I turned the light on and off. Didn't work. Moved my phone about. No. So it wasn't a reflection from inside the room. I was thinking, well, is it a street light that's reflecting? So I shut the window, opened the window, still there. Opened the window wider, still there. Shut the blind, still there. Open the blind, still there. Car headlights, no, nothing. Uh, there wasn't a, a beam up to it. So I watched this ball of light for 40 minutes. Jesus. Just drifting off towards the Peak, ironically, towards the Peak District. Um, and I was, I was convinced it must be some kind of astronomical event. So I emailed the British Astronomical Society and said, I think I've seen a, a comet. And they went, oh, very good, exciting. Uh, tell us all about it. So I told them. They went, no, you haven't. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> and that, that was it, just just total shutdown. Did they well, suggest anything else? Well, they said it was too slow. There was, If well, it was a I comet mean, or a meteor, I would not have been able to watch it for as long as I could. To this day, I couldn't tell you what it was, but it was a ball of fire. Fascinating. Well, my, my week's been nowhere near as interesting. It's been <laughs> an emotional roller coaster, but, but mm-hmm. not an interesting one. You know, and and I, w- I will describe the process of this to you because it was very important to me, which I think will nicely show you exactly how sad my life is. I discovered <laughs> that this ice cream shop downtown, which I used to adore back when I could eat dairy, mm. has dairy-free sorbet that they dip in dairy-free chocolate. Oh. Dude, I was so fucking happy. Yeah. I actually went there for Nick. I went, there to, get, went to get her this uh, cotton candy milkshake thing. Mm. And I saw they had this, so I ordered one. And biting into it, imagine the 1812 overture happening in your pants. Like that's <laughs> the closest thing I can possibly come to describing it. It was incredible. And yeah. so about a week after that, I walked back uptown, bought myself an ice cream. I was happily munching it, finished it, was walking home when I was about halfway across the lawn of the legislature. When all of a sudden I got this incredible stinging pain in my knee and it just, it kept building. It was very, very painful. I couldn't mm. figure out what the fuck was happening. So I, I pulled up my pant leg and I, I can't see anything wrong with it. So I thought, you know, something internal was happening. It was very, very painful. Mm. So I, I look at it and I, again, I can't figure anything out. So I just put my pant leg down. But then I realized whenever I move, it hurts. Right. But if I roll the pant leg up over the knee and walk like that, it doesn't hurt. And I can't figure out what the fuck is happening. So I <laughs> roll my pant leg up and I look like an absolute dildo because so, I've got long pants on, except one of them is hoisted up over my, my hairy knee. Mm. And I'm, you know, toddling home when, it, again, the, the leg keeps falling. And when it falls, it hurts. So finally, I'm adjusting the, pant, the rolled up pant leg. When I pull it away from my skin and a fucking wasp flies out of my pants. <laughs> And I am both enraged that there was a wasp in my pants. Because, again, I wear long pants. Where in the hell did it find its way up there? 
And why <laughs> did it choose that moment of all of all moments to bite my fucking knee? And so I was furious, but then the roller coaster, because I realized that thing could have gone apeshit in my pants and could have gone up, mm. up higher. And really, I, this is the least worst scenario. Mm. So I, I don't know, man. God was, God was having a boring afternoon and he thought, you know what? Fuck that guy in particular. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, got, you, can't, you can't be too careful. I, I didn't get stung till I was 33. So I always had the, the thought at the back of my mind that I was allergic to them and I would die instantly. Um, and then I got struck. Uh, I got stung 10 times at once. So, uh, 10 I, I times? Really, yes. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. That must have hurt like hell. Uh, yeah, and it was all on the top of my head as well. Oh, man. Yeah, I walked under a, a, a bush, and it, I must have just caught this branch slightly oh, and annoyed no. a, a group of them that decided to dive bomb me simultaneously. Brutal. Yeah, but I didn't die. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, I mean if, if I had my the first ever ghost co-host, you know, that's something, but I, I'd feel bad. <laughs> I did that when I was a kid. I stepped on a, when I was out with my cousin uh, mm. I, in the town of Kelowna, I stepped on what must have been a hive or something in the mud. Yeah. And those little fuckers went to town. They went to town. And so I, I blame that. That's sort of like my anti, my reverse or hero origin story for why I'm such a coward now. <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> Oh, marvelous. All right. Oh, and one last thing. My new podcast has launched. Mm. Largely the Truth with Brennan Store is available on your podcast, on podcast players everywhere. And that is a non-paranormal show where I just interview cool people. I've got uh, my first, in, um, pardon me, my first episode is an interview with the uh, Miami-based composer and producer Darko Richards. And my next episode will be all coming up by the time this comes out. And that is with the lead singer from Riot at the Dojo, Lee Bennett. So check that out. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun and reaction so far has been very positive. So it, I'm hoping, uh, yeah, hoping you all check it out. Leave me a, leave me a five-star review if you can. It helps, especially in the early days of a show kind of gets us on the new and noteworthy lists. And, uh, with that, let's thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are, was it too soon to say the bees? I guess it was a wasp, not a bee. You are the bee's knees. You are the crocket to our tubs, and we could not make this show without you. That's a Miami Vice reference for you kids out there. Look it up. Genuinely, we couldn't make the show without you guys. You guys fucking rock. And we'd like to thank, of course, all our patrons, but specifically, our latest patrons. They are... Jan Matthews. Melissa Chavez. Heather Boone. Jean Genge. Jennifer Watkin. Alex Dorgan. And Leslie Holmesbury. Guys, again, thank you so, so much from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. And if you want to find out how to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. If you want to find out about all the cool stuff you get being part of the Patreon, listen to the end of the show and we'll tell you all about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be telling you stories about the haunting of Vietnam. <laughs> Welcome back. Where we're recording this time. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs>
Where was I? Oh, yeah, right. So as we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be telling stories about the haunting of Vietnam. And this is one we've been sitting on for a little while. The stories have been sitting in our Slack channel for, oh, probably six, eight months, if not longer. Luke dug these out. But uh, we thought it was, it was time to share because we haven't really done a country-specific episode in quite a while. And these, of course, as we always find when we do these location-specific episodes, there's always sort of a fascinating cultural angle. You know, it's always, it's always very specific to the place. And I, I always find that fascinating. And, and Paul, you have some relevant background information for us. Yeah. I mean, Vietnam's one of those wonderful countries where they have a ghost festival. Oh, really? Ironically, coming up, it's 22nd of August this year, I think. I planned this intentionally. Indeed. Uh, <clears throat> almost serendipitous in regards to it. But um, a lot of Buddhist countries in Eastern Asia do have a ghost month. Ironically, in Vietnam, theirs runs concurrently with Mother's Day. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's called Vu Lan in Vietnam. And essentially, it's a bank holiday for ghosts. A bank holiday to acknowledge ghosts, or the ghosts are allowed to take a day off from hunting? They are allowed a day off to go to have a wander around and visit their families and, and have something to eat and, and just generally oh, chill understand. out. That is very cool. Mm. With it being tied in for, with Mother's Day as well, the tradition is if you're celebrating your mother and she's still alive, you wear a red rose. And if they are departed or you are remembering the loss of a loved one, you wear a white rose. Oh, interesting. Essentially, it's a bit like a cross between Halloween and Christmas because it's also one of those holidays that seems to have developed into an arms race, depending on where you are. Oh, okay. Some people will buy cars, brand new cars. Really? For ghosts. I mean, that seems, well, not, not to be judgmental, <laughs> but that seems wasteful. Yeah, yeah, and give them gifts of money and things. And basically, it, it, in certain areas, it's become quite opulent, whereas the tradition is more about creating gifts and, and preparing a, a banquet that essentially you prepare for the ghosts, but the living people eat it. Right, okay. I, I remember uh, that shaman I met in Vancouver years, years and years ago, he, you know, he sort of encouraged me. He said, you know, you put a little bit of food aside for the spirits, yes. but he said, you don't have to put a lot of food aside. It's more about the, the act than it mm. is about the, like the, 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 the size, mm. which is what I, I've been saying for years. But anyways, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so most of them sort of, it, it, it lasts for about a month and it's the ghost month and, and different countries out in, in Eastern Asia have different variations of it, but essentially it's all about allowing ghosts to have a day off. Apart from the Hungry Ghost Festival, there are also some really interesting legends from Vietnam mm. about cryptids and such, aren't there? Yes, yes. The infamous rock apes are Batatut. And so, <laughs> I love the name. What, what are they? This is one of those stories that, as a lover of Bigfoot and the Yeren, which is the Chinese version, right? it would be very easy to kind of go, oh, yeah, Definitely. But I'm, there's something about this I just can't sit with because okay. it's one of those stories that seems too good to be true for me. So the rock apes are allegedly a group of hominid cryptids, similar to Bigfoot, but they're all about six foot, upright, hairy, ape-like creatures that GIs and the Viet Cong both encountered during the Vietnam War. Okay. And unsurprisingly, they were given the name rock apes 
um, because whenever they saw people, they just lobbed rocks at them because they didn't seem to really like anybody. I often feel that way about people, so I get it. Yeah, but it's one of those interesting things, a bit like Foo Fighters in the Second World War. Both sides thought it was a tactic from the other side to try and scare them. Okay. Which is interesting because, if anything, you would think that the Viet Cong would have more knowledge of the situation rather than the American GIs who were there. Right, being um, that they're a sort of a local phenomenon. Yeah, and it's it's quite interesting that over the last sort of 20 years, a few alleged Vietnam vets have claimed to have witnessed or had encounters with them uh, during their tours of duty out there. What is it that makes you think, aside from the fact that theoretically the locals would have known about them, what, what is it about that, that makes it seem unlikely to you? I mean, it seems unlikely to me too, but I'm curious as specifically. I'm not completely dismissing it because I think this aspect of it is one of those friend of a friend or somebody's heard somebody and then they've kind of adapted their story and used it themselves. Um, because most of the alleged witnesses seem to tell a very similar story. Yeah. Right. It's always stumbling across something in a path or a, in, in, a, in a canopy when they're on maneuvers um, and mistaking it for Viet Cong. And then whatever it is, just looks at them disdainfully and starts throwing rocks at them. <laughs> I quite like that. Yes. So the fact that these witnesses seem to tell a very similar story. Now, I'm not saying that I'm expecting some of them to, you know, do anything dramatically different, but it does seem to be very much of a muchness in regards to these witness reports. Right. I understand. But, however, Josh Gates on Destination Truth went to Vietnam on the hunt for the Batatut, as they preferred to call it in that one. Okay. And uh, they came across some very unusual footprints and took them back and they were bipedal footprints of some kind of creature. They clearly weren't human. They were too large. So hmm. they found something. It's very possible there's something out there. Yes. I think there probably is, but I, there's just something about these Rock 8 Vietnam War stories that are a bit very too similar for me. But there does seem to be a lot. If, if you look into it a bit more, there are more stories from the locals and the population that live in these particular areas where they seem to have a very different relationship with them, that they kind of treat them as forest people and they are aware of them. Okay. So, that, and that's very similar to Bigfoot stuff we've talked about in North America. Yeah. 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 Very true. So, um, yeah, I think it's one of those that on the surface you go, oh, great wartime stories. But once you kind of get past all that, there is actually a, a far better story in Vietnam itself from the local population. Well, most of the stories we're going to be sharing today are from locals. And so I'm really, really excited to dive into them. I want to say before we get going, the one thing that uh, you may catch if you know Vietnam, if you know its history, the city of Saigon, the name was changed in 1975 to Ho Chi Minh City. And most of the stories we're sharing, I believe they still refer to it as Saigon. And that's just because that is how the stories uh, were phrased when we found them online. And so we decided not to change it. But obviously, we want everyone to be aware of the fact we do know that it is now called Ho Chi Minh City. Mostly, there is some, uh, some disagreement about that. But uh, yeah, 
I know two Vietnamese people, and one calls it Saigon, and one calls it Ho, Ho Chi Minh City, and they argue. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a tightrope not worth walking, I think. Nope, that's exactly it. So we're just sharing the stories as originally submitted, and I think you guys are going to like them. So, on with the stories. The Quiet Floor This story takes place at a hotel in Saigon some years ago and happened to my wife and I. On the fourth day of our stay, at around 2.30 in the morning, a violent argument broke out in room 216 and woke me and my wife up. We distinguished both a man's voice and that of a woman, who were quarreling together, but curiously we couldn't actually hear a word of what they were saying. We also heard smashing objects and knocks on our wall and doors slamming. Suddenly, someone opened the door of room 216 and slammed it fiercely. Then we heard somebody running loudly in the hallway and banging on the walls and doors, including ours. The person ran down the stairs and then immediately back up before continuing to hit the walls and the doors. Then our door handle started to turn violently. I sat up on the bed to put my pants on, but my wife held me back. She was scared I was going to be attacked. Suddenly, I heard a liquid spreading outside our door, as if a bucket of water had been poured. That got me out of bed, because I was concerned someone had poured gasoline on our door and intended to set it on fire. I grabbed an empty beer bottle, and before I could sit back down, opened the door. Nothing. Not a single sign of a person, and no trace of liquid whatsoever. The whole floor was quiet. In the morning, we went straight to reception to tell the clerk what had happened during the night, and we were told he hadn't heard anything. Well, how nice for you. Not only that, but the clerk assured me that room 216 was unoccupied and had been for days. In fact, apart from our room and one other, our entire floor was empty. During our lunch on the terrace, a waitress told us she had overheard our conversation with the desk clerk and wanted us to know we were far from the only people who had heard strange noises on the second floor. She also said the corridors were equipped with cameras and that the clerk may let us look at footage if we asked nicely. After our meal, we did just that. By then, shift change had occurred, and it was a young woman who listened to our story. To our surprise, when we asked to see the security footage, she was all too happy to let us look. If I had to guess, she was as curious as we were. Once she had gotten the footage queued up on the reception computer, she invited us behind the counter and ran through it. From 2.30 until the time I opened the door, nothing and no one could be seen in the hallway. Either we were both crazy, or whatever had been happening in that hallway just couldn't be seen. And the balls on that hotel clerk. Well, there's no one in that room, so clearly that insane banging you heard, that's just uh, your imagination. Go back to sleep. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I will. The usual, eh, I'm not really going to talk about this. It didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if I ignore it, it didn't happen. We call, we call that the, the story of, well, pretty much every major calamity in the 20th century. <laughs> that's really worked out well for us so far, so I see no reason to change course. Absolutely. There is something particularly frightening about hearing shit like that just outside, especially a hotel room because you're in uncertain territory. Mm. You know, it reminds me of the time I heard the, uh, the major domestic when I was over in Vancouver for the cannabis uh, conference. I was staying in a really, really shitty motel. Um, actually, mm. I think if you watch the final season of uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency on Netflix, mm. I think they end up in, in that motel. If you see a, 
a dumpy looking motel complex with a bunch of cabins. That is my shitty motel. Hmm. But um, it was just, it's literally cinder block buildings with a thin veneer of civility over top. And one night I fell asleep hearing a couple, you know, screaming at each other next door. And then I woke up a few hours later and what had woken me up was the fact that the tenor of the argument had changed. And it had started with her shouting at him and telling him he was an idiot. And then by the time I woke up, his voice had really changed. Similar to this, I couldn't actually make out what was being said, but you could just sort of tell the intensity of it. And her voice sounded very small and mm-hmm. very frightened. And I remember laying there thinking, oh, Jesus, this is, this is bad. What do I do? And uh, thankfully, someone had called the cops and they turned up, you know, a few minutes after I woke. But uh, yeah, just that, that's, that sort of sense of menace all around you, but there's nothing you can do about it. And, and in the case of this thing, uh, you know, the windows were thinner than, uh, than sugar glass. And so I, I think if a burglar wanted to, he simply could have just poked his way through the frame. Yeah. yeah. I always like these kind of reports where people can hear somebody arguing, but you can't quite tell what they're saying. Well, you know what you got to do? I actually did this in, in New York. There's an app you can get for your phone. There's probably a few of them. It amplifies ambient sound. Ah. And so there was this couple. I was, I was sitting in the, the lobby of the Empire Hotel in New York, uh, actually just before everything went, just before everything went bluey in February of last year. And there was a couple very clearly having a first date. And I could make out a little bit of it. But it was so wonderfully awkward, I needed to hear more. So I, I, I found one of these apps because I'm a son of a bitch. <laughs> And I sat there and I, I mean, of course it, it, it enhances all the ambient sound. So I, I was no better off than I was before, but, um, I could just make out enough to suggest that this guy was going to be single for a very long time. <laughs> you look just like my mother. <laughs> well, at least it's not you kiss just like my mother. <laughs> if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The Rental Originally, I am from the Philippines, but my work requires me to live in Vietnam, specifically Ho Chi Minh City. Because I didn't want to commute, I found a nice house to rent close to the heart of the city. Nearby, there are malls, grocery stores, bars and restaurants. It's a happening place, and the last place you'd expect anything strange to occur. During the first three months of staying at this house, everything was normal. Good ambience, cold AC, clean water, it was perfect. Then, one night, I was sitting at home playing on my Xbox when I heard what sounded like a woman crying. At first, I thought it was coming from outside, but the sound kept getting louder and louder, like it was approaching me. I tried to ignore it, because none of that made any sense, and the sound eventually faded. Days passed, and that experience faded from memory, until one stormy night when I fell asleep and had a dream that someone, I couldn't figure out who, was trying to cover my face. I started to wake up, and the feeling remained until I woke all the way up. The room seemed to be empty, but I was scared and I couldn't sleep. So I decided to turn on my MP3 player 
and listened to some music. When I was finally drifting back off, I had this unshakable feeling someone was coming and somehow I knew it was a lady wearing a long white gown. When she finally appeared, I couldn't recognise her face and she approached me, trying again to cover my face. It felt like I was paralysed but still partly awake. I could hear the music I had been playing earlier. Finally, I forced myself awake, but when I woke up, the music was wrong. I couldn't understand the lyrics. The melody was familiar, but everything else was incomprehensible. Then I realised the music was playing in reverse. That was it for me. Immediately, I ran outside and called a friend nearby to see if I could stay there for the night. After that night, I decided to transfer to another house. While I was loading my things into the cab, one of the neighbours approached me. I told them I was moving and why. Then they told me the house had a bit of history. The owner's daughter had, according to them, committed suicide in one of the rooms, and ever since, it never stays rented for long. You know, stories like that, I always wonder if if that is true, that kind of tragedy happened there, or if that's something people kind of attributed to, to it after the fact so they can explain what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot of that in paranormal stories, isn't there? Yeah, the amount of love heartbroken young women that seem to throw themselves from balconies or towers or whatever. I mean, you know, I don't think if he's dumped your love, he's probably not worth taking your life over, (laughs) you know, leave him. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. There's a great podcast called fuck boys of literature. And (laughs) yeah, I I feel like that would be their, their take on this. Like, let him go, honey. Mm. But I I feel like you're right. There's sort of this built in sexism there Mm. um, when it comes to these kind of stories, because yeah, you know, the, the poor woman, of course, she can't handle the the crushing loss of you know this dipshit who <laughs> wouldn't know what a fucking orgasm looked like if it was shown to him on a jumbotron. <laughs> Thinks G spots at furniture store. <laughs> I thought it was a mumble rapper, but okay. <laughs> the fact that the place never stays rented for long actually is sort of relevant to me right now because. Just down the hall from me, there is an apartment which is empty. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen that I posted it a couple times in my stories because that apartment cannot hold a tenant. Whoever ends up there always seems to be slightly unstable. And I don't want to say the apartment makes them worse because I don't know that's what's happening. But the longer they're here, the worse they get. And for some reason, our landlord is very trusting and just leaves the door to that apartment wide open. So they haven't been able to fill it yet, I assume because rents in the city are too fucking high. But every time I walk past it, day or night, my gaze is always drawn inside that place. And I really think there is something going on there. Mm. I just don't know what. Oddly, up across the hallway and one door down is another place that really struggles to hold tenants. Again, and whenever they get someone in there, They have stability struggles and before long, they're either kicked out or leave voluntarily. Mm. So it's almost like there's some kind of super highway cutting right through the building. I don't know exactly what it is, but you can't help but notice it. That is odd. It is strange, especially in this day and age where, you know, property is hard to come by. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the vacancy rate in Victoria is very, very low, but Uh yeah, this place, uh, it just cannot whole tenants. I mean, part of that is, you know, while she's a, a nice enough lady, my, the landlord, the, or rather the property manager, her judgment in character is flawed. We ended up with this one group of folks who, uh, 
Well, when they left, they apparently left stacks of used adult diapers <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and I said, what did you do? And she said, well, I brought it. They had to send in a hazmat team and they disposed of them that way. And that is the second time they've had to bring in a hazardous material team to deal with a former tenant. So, you know, again, there's something, something someone is not telling me here, I think. <laughs> oh, dear. I know a friend of mine uh, that was a pub and the, uh, the licensee got kicked out. And um, so he locked all the doors and he, he took the keys with him. So it took the brewery about a week to get the locks changed and everything. And when they walked in, they were like, Jesus, all the heating was on. You know, middle oh. of summer, it was red hot. And they could just get this whiff of something Oh no! from downstairs. And as they started to walk up the stairs, they, they just got this aroma of fecal matter. Oh, no. And when they opened the front room upstairs, the previous landlord had just smeared feces all over the front room. Ceiling, oh, the walls, the carpet, everything. And he just put the heating on full blast for a week. Oh. So it just like went, just, oh. And they had to shut the, they had to basically strip the room. <laughs> oh, God almighty. That must, I cannot imagine the smell. Oh, no. Makes my teeth itch. <laughs> this one's called Flush. I'm an engineer, and I'm told that I have a very logic-driven mind. Previous to this encounter, I had never experienced anything I would put into the category of supernatural or ghostly origin. I've always been curious about the topic of the supernatural, often reading stories and occasionally watching some of those TV programs about encounters. An ex-girlfriend of mine said she saw a black aura around me, which acted like some form of ghost repellent. It was her opinion that I was the kind of person that ghosts would avoid. When this particular story happened, I had long ago broken up with this ex-girlfriend, so she was not even remotely in my mind at the time. I mentioned her only to relate the part about me being somehow repellent to ghosts. In any case, you now know something about me as I relate this occurrence. I am an engineer, I am logical, I have bad luck with relationships, and I seemingly repel ghosts, even though I am interested in the topic. My previous job in sales involved much traveling around Southeast Asia. I would travel almost every week, one week to Thailand, one week to Japan, one week to Singapore, and so on. The consequence of this continual travel was that I would spend many, many nights in various hotels. To me, a hotel was simply a place to sleep, and more often than not, to write those late-night emails back to the company I worked for in the States that would be waking up just as I should be lying down to bed. Hotels, I have come to learn, are prime locations for spirits, as well as travelers. On this particular occasion, I was in Vietnam, in the small coastal town of Vung Tau. I had just completed my usual week-long business meetings and had packed my bags in preparation of being able to grab them and leave after I finished eating lunch. After a meal with my colleagues, I went up to retrieve my bags for the long drive to Saigon. Upon exiting the elevator, I had to turn right, and then right again to enter the long hallway of rooms, of which my room was at the very end on the left. I relate this particular fact because I think it's important to note that in the 15 to 30 seconds it took me to walk down the hallway to my room, I could clearly see that no one was in the hallway. No one had entered or exited my room. If they had, I would have clearly seen them, so I'm quite certain that no person, made or otherwise, was responsible for what I next witnessed. Coming to my room, I inserted the electronic key, heard the lock open, and then pushed the door. 
Immediately upon opening it, I heard the unmistakable sound of the toilet flushing. The bathroom entrance was very near to the entry door. In fact, it was immediately next to the entry door, allowing only for the distance of the door swing. Because I heard the toilet flushing, I thought the maid may have been in the room commencing her cleaning. I called out something like, hello, because I didn't want to startle her if she was the maid. In two steps, I had closed the distance from the entry door to the bathroom door. While I was taking those two steps to the bathroom door, I noticed that the flushing toilet sounded different from normal. It sounded as if a lot of water was flushing, far more than the normal amount. This struck me as odd, since I'd stayed in 816 before and never heard such a thing. Upon reaching the bathroom entrance, I was immediately struck by two notable things. First, I could now see the toilet and was very surprised to see the quantity of water sloshing around in there. Of course, I've watched a toilet being flushed, but the quantity of water that I saw in the toilet this time was much, much greater than a normally flushing toilet, perhaps triple the amount of a regular flush. Even stranger was that as soon as I set eyes upon the toilet, the flushing sound stopped. Somehow, as soon as I looked at it, the water just stopped flowing. I actually saw the residual water continue to slosh around rather violently for a few seconds before it finally settled down. At the same time my mind was processing the visual display, I was struck simultaneously by the second notable thing, a horrendous, nauseating smell that permeated the bathroom. It was a ghastly smell, and something that I had to process in my mind at the same time that the water was sloshing around. As my logical mind was trying to process the sight and smell before me, I got that unmistakable tingly feeling at the back of my neck that I'm told suggests something is not right. And although I fancy myself as being brave, I did not entertain any notion of sticking around to investigate what the cause of that violent flushing may have been. I took two backward steps away from the bathroom door, I didn't want to turn my back on it, reached blindly over to my suitcase, which luckily had been pre-packed, and fumbled my way out the door. Hurrying down the elevator, I quickly checked out. Sheepishly, I asked the front desk staff if anyone had mentioned anything about room 816 being haunted, and their eyes went wide with surprise and a little bit of fright. They didn't say anything else, but they seemed to believe me, which is more than I can say for my co-workers who spent the two-hour ride to Saigon ribbing me. As I said, I have a logical mind. Of course, I thought about the possibility that maybe a maid had been in the room cleaning, and when I startled her, she just hid. But it doesn't make sense because I didn't see anyone when I entered the room, nor did I see anyone enter or leave as I walked down the corridor. And of course, again, I'm an engineer, my mind is always seeking reasonable explanations. I thought maybe the toilet valve was stuck open, and the stuck valve was responsible for the running water. But I can't settle on that as an explanation either, because the amount of water flowing was way more than normal, to the point of splashing out of the bowl. And how then to explain that the valve stopped flushing the moment I looked into the bathroom? I could find no certain logical explanation, and I thought it over many times. Because I return to this hotel frequently for work, I have come to know the front desk staff, and they have come to know me. And they know by now not to offer me the key for room 816 anymore. I refuse to enter that room, and nothing will entice me, even though it's said to be one of the best in the hotel. I do love a good haunted toilet story. <laughs> I, th I was just thinking, that may be my first haunted toilet story. I mean, I have been around some truly terrifying toilets, but it's usually after I've been in there. <laughs> The house I grew up in, when the toilet started flushing, we knew that that was the, the signal for it to begin. Oh, oh interesting. It, so that sounds very ominous. Yes, it was. And especially because it was a pull flush and it would repeat it. Oh, so it flushed on its own twice. 
Yeah. Jesus. And so when you say it would begin, what's it? Just stuff would start happening. Things would start dropping out the ceiling and banging and clanging and footsteps and things. Holy Christ. You know, man, we talk a lot on the show about reasons and, and I try sometimes to avoid that because, I, you know, I don't think we can ever truly explain a lot of this stuff, but mm. the connection between this kind of activity and water yeah. is just, it's unmistakable. Mm. You just, you cannot possibly deny the connection. Mm. And the fact that, yeah, that again, you heard running water and, and I think running water is the key to it. Yeah. You know, I, I really, do, I don't think necessarily that stagnant water has exactly the same impact. Although, you know, there could be an entirely different, uh, I, I hesitate to say spiritual, but like sort of psychic, psychic's not much better, but psychic value to stagnant water as well. Yeah. But it seems to be something about running water, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's one of those weird parts of British paranormal history that there are, <laughs> there are lots and lots of haunted toilets <laughs> in the UK. Really? Yeah, one of my favourites is has the wonderful name of the Phantom Flusher of the <laughs> Bow Bell Inn. Okay. In, in East London. Um, and that particular spirit enjoys making people jump whilst they're sat on the toilet by flushing them. Nothing's ever seen. Um, and as far as I'm aware, it still goes on in that pub. Um, but yeah, people are sat on the toilet and then it'll just flush. And even when they changed the type of flush mechanism they had in the toilet, it continued. And th- th- I, I assume they've sort of checked for some kind of plumbing explanation, some sort of water pressure thing. I mean, I, I don't know mm. anything about how toilets work, I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> yeah. So obviously in the old days, it was like the pull handle and now it's the push and it still, right. p- still occurs. Fascinating. But uh, yeah, I just love the name, the phantom flusher. I tell you, man, nothing would get me to call Ghostbusters faster. Then a uh, spirit bugging me while I'm on the ball. Well, it got so bad, they actually had a seance and got some psychics in to try and get rid of it. And it just didn't, didn't budget at all. <laughs> it's carried on. <laughs> on this hill, I will die, says yes. the Phantom Flusher. <laughs> Marvellous. One of my favourite of many eccentric British ghosts. Wake up. In 1967, I was in the US Army serving in South Vietnam, when my grandmother's voice woke me up from a deep sleep, a sleep that could have otherwise have held me forever. At the time, I was posted to Saigon, which was a strange place because it was a city, but to go any distance in any direction pretty much put you in the jungle. Before I proceed further, I should mention that my grandmother, a fine lady who had raised me up, had died of natural causes two years prior. There was this one day that I found myself off duty, in civilian clothing and asleep inside one of the darkest, most comfortable bars that I could possibly imagine. But when the door opened to the outside, daylight rushed in with a blinding flash, like someone had triggered off a set of high-powered industrial lights. Absolutely bright, that must have been what woke me. I stumbled into the sunlight and the heat of the day still drowsy. Maybe for that reason or maybe because he misjudged my staggered movements as being under the influence. A man, who was all smiles, climbed down from his bicycle cab and rushed to greet me. He was a driver, a chauffeur of sorts, a skinny, darkly tanned, barefoot old man, with rolled black trousers, a pointed straw sun hat, and no shirt. The few teeth that remained in his smile were black-stained, matching his gums. 
he welcomed me aboard his manually operated cycle. Now, some of these drivers can be quite aggressive, as theirs is a competitive business. It would probably help if you knew that these tricycle contraptions were open-framed and easily accessible and equipped with cushioned, but oftentimes hard-packed bench seats with ragged cloth canopy overhead, all located between two bicycle wheels up front for passenger comfort, with the driver pushing hard on pedals from his single seat behind. I asked how much it would be to transport me to my downtown hotel, and, finding his answer satisfactory, I climbed into the open compartment and settled back for the ride. My driver, in position, began manoeuvring us amongst the steady stream of traffic. My destination was inside the city, a hotel only a few blocks and normally only a few minutes distance from where it would begin. It could have been the heat, it could have been the couple of beers I had downed earlier, or maybe it was the slow and deliberate swaying side to side as the driver pedalled onward, or maybe a combination of all three. But wherever it was, I soon found myself fast asleep again. I was asleep and moving through city traffic, when in actuality, I was asleep and unknowingly being driven straight into the jungle ahead. I can't explain it beyond saying my grandmother spoke to me, saying, Jerry, wake up, do it now. Which I did, startled awake, my head swaying slowly back and forth. I came to realise that something wasn't right. No traffic, no buildings, only tall trees and dense green bush aligned the long gravel road stretching ahead of me. I was confused. How the hell was I hearing my grandmother's voice in Vietnam? It was while pondering that that I saw the man. He was a few metres distant, probably 75 to 100 feet ahead, and came from the trees on the left side of the road, stopped in the centre of it to look at us, and then continued on disappearing into the trees and brush growing there. Again, my grandmother's voice sounded in my head. Get up, Jerry. There's danger ahead. I hollered back through the canopy for the driver to stop, to let me out, which caused him to speed up. I probably should have just jumped out without speaking, but it was too late for that now, so I jumped out anyway. Luckily, I maintained my balance in the shifting gravel, all while sliding, holding onto and wrestling with the moving transport. The driver stopped. He looked at me in obvious wonderment, voicing disagreement from his seated position. It was about this time that the man I'd seen moments ago returned, but this time in the middle of the road, where he engaged in conversation with my driver, in a language I didn't understand, but got the gist of anyway. It became obvious when the man motioned repeatedly for us to continue forward towards his location. I refused to get back inside the transport, my heart beating loudly in my ears. My thoughts began associating my ongoing happening with something I had read earlier, concerning recent attacks on US soldiers where all were beaten and robbed and some were even killed. We were cautioned to avoid such locations where we too may become victims. Well, I had messed up. Continuing my refusal to go any further, I turned out my wallet, exposing the contents to be one lonely US $10 bill and some local coins worth of loose change. I handed this to my driver then turned all my pockets inside out to show that this money was my only thing of value. I had no wristwatch or ring or necklace, nothing other than my army dog tags around my neck, which I also handed to my driver. This caused him to smile again, him showing those ugly, rotten teeth. My driver addressed the man in the road, 
and in response, the waiting man spoke, sounding angry, then turned and continued walking until he disappeared back into the jungle. My driver and I looked at each other for a few unspoken moments, finally coming to the realisation that each had gotten what the other wanted, and me without my head being bashed in. I shrugged and asked him kindly to take me back to the city. He smiled and nodded his agreement. Good thing too, because I had no idea where I was, or where this otherwise quite lonely and isolated gravel road led to. He climbed down and repositioned his cycle, so it now faced in the opposite direction. That's when I climbed back aboard, the sway of the pedalling resumed, and the heat remained, but this time without me drifting off to sleep. In fact, I'm not sure if I managed to get any sleep at all that night. Thanks, Grandma. Yeah, don't don't fall asleep in cabs. Just no. anywhere. Just don't do it. Public transport in general. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, don't fall asleep on buses either. <laughs> yes, yes. I believe we shared that story on the taxi episode as well. And I wanted to, again, share it and share it because it's, it's a great Vietnam story. Mm. And it kind of reminds me of the time I was mugged, the first time I was mugged in Morocco. Mm. I was in, the, in Marrakesh, in the Medina. And basically it was, it was me, my cousin, our mugger, and this guy who ran this one hostel. And the dude was demanding money from us. And we looked at the guy from the hostel and we said, you know, like, what do we do? And he just shrugged and walked back inside. He, you know, he was not going to carry any water for these two tourist schmucks. And so, well, here's what little cash we have on us, sir. Have a great day. Please don't stab us. I think it was the, probably the, was it, was I'm trying to think, was that lower stress than the other time we were mugged? Yeah. I think that was a little more, a little more congenial, although he had this kind of festering wound on his thumb that was covered with a bandage, but the bandage was not in great shape. And you mm -hmm. very much got the impression that, uh, whatever was under there was in a bad way. I mean, he needed the money more than we did, quite frankly, but, uh, yeah. not, not a happy experience. No, no. It's, someone's only attempted to mug me once. <laughs> are they, are they also vacationing abroad now? Uh, they've, they've moved, they've moved to Qatar. I ended up with more cigarettes than I started with. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it's amazing what you can find lying around if you look hard enough. Anyway, <laughs> I always like a, a kind of voice from, from beyond offering support and assistance for a, a danger yet to come. Yeah. In fact, actually, the other reason I, I wanted to share this is because on Monday, we received a story via Instagram that I, I'm going to share here. It's, it's very similar. It's from a listener named Stephanie. And Stephanie says, this just happened to me. I'm literally in bed writing this. So I've just had a baby, baby Ezra. He was, the NIC he was in NICU for a couple of weeks due to complications from having COVID while pregnant, but it's totally fine now. And thank God for that, Stephanie. A friend of mine also gave birth while pregnant. Or, sorry, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's how that works, Store Gave birth with COVID. And it was, yeah, it was, it was not an easy thing. But um, she says, he is 15 weeks old and with my and." And with my first, I put them in their own room and caught at this age just to get them used to their room. I would stay in there with them or sneak into my bed in the night. I was going to start it tonight, but oddly, as I looked in the cot, there was a big wet patch that smelled like whiskey. Odd, hey? But being too sleep deprived, I just took him into my bed and popped him in his co-sleeper. So I fell asleep and was having a really crazy but lovely dream I was with my family in an old family home. My nan, who has passed, was there, and my auntie, who has also passed, was there, both sipping whiskey like they always did. Until oddly, my cousin in the dream started tickling my feet. I showed it to her mom, 
my dead auntie to tell her to stop, but my auntie just said, keep doing it, Laura. And then she joined in, but she was really digging her nails into my foot and it was utter agony. She then shouted, keep doing it until she's up. And at this point, the absolute agony in my foot woke me up, but the pain was still there. I sat up to look at my foot, which was perfectly fine, but still feeling like someone was gripping it. And then I looked over at my baby. He wasn't blue, but he certainly wasn't a normal baby pink. I looked at him for 10, 15, 20 seconds. He wasn't breathing. At this point, I froze, but that exact time I got another surge of pain in my foot and jumped forward and put my hand on his chest, and then all of a sudden he took a massive gasp and woke up breathing again. It was terrifying, but utterly, perfectly orchestrated, crazy thing to have happened at exactly the right time. After that, I calmed down and I went into the nursery to check the cot. There was no damp patch that smelled like whiskey. Nothing. It was bone dry. She says, it's at 4 a.m. here as I'm typing this and I'm feeding him. And she said, the funny thing is, I'm a very well-seasoned nurse. I have never frozen in my life. And my foot pain instantly left. So that is a hell of a thing. Yeah. It's so odd, you know, like the, the foot pain thing. It's, it's not, you know, this story we hear, we, it was a voice, but this is almost like a, like a f concerted physical effort to, I wonder if because she was so tired. Mm. You know, it, it took that to kind of rouse her, um, like to rouse her out, out, of, out of being so, like so exhausted. Yeah. Or maybe it's a throwback that she hated it as a kid and it always used to really sort of frustrate her or annoy her. And it would always make her get up or run away or something. Right. Yeah, that could be too. Just as, as, as a way to provoke a reaction and get her to notice the kid. Yeah. 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 So wow. thank you very much for sharing that, Stephanie. Again, that just came in Monday and I thought, well, shit, we got to, you know, we've got, uh, got this opportunity to share two wake up stories. Why not? Mm. Fever. My grandfather was about 40 or 50 years old when he died. He passed away before I was born, so I heard the story from my older cousin who grew up around him. He had told me that my grandfather was a great man, always a friendly person, and because of it, he got sick. My grandpa was a businessman. He spoke many languages and traveled often. Our family in Vietnam is from the country, but my grandpa spent a lot of time in the city, and every time he was gone, he would be gone for days, even weeks. Well, one day he had come home from the city and was walking past this little bridge when he saw a young girl. Grandpa said to the young girl, you shouldn't be out here so early. It's dangerous. She nodded her head and promised she would go home. The next day was a long one and he came home really late from work to see the girl again, jumping rope all alone. Again, he went up to her and said, it's late, honey. Go home. Didn't I tell you this already? Afterward, he went inside and my grandma woke up to ask him why he'd come home so late. He explained himself and said to my grandma, Honey, you know that neighborhood girl? She is such a bad kid. The other day I saw her outside early in the morning sitting by the bridge, and tonight when I was coming inside she was jump roping in the middle of the night. We should really talk to her parents. My grandmother stared at him, calmly, slowly. She said to him, Honey, I don't know what you think you saw, but that little girl died from fever while we were away this last time. It couldn't have been her. Grandpa didn't believe her, of course, because he had seen little girl and couldn't be convinced otherwise. Well, the next day he came down with a serious fever himself. So bad he couldn't get out of bed. Eventually, that fever took his life. But from what my cousin had said, when you see a ghost and speak to them and then realize what you had seen, you will become very ill later. That's one of the bad things ghosts give you when you see them. And I've heard variations on this. Mm. Um but never to the point that it took their life. I want to say on the Haunting of India episode, 
we had something like this where someone was very, very sick after a ghost encounter. I think it might have been, yeah, it was definitely the haunting of India. Mm. But um, have you heard? Have you heard of something like this? Well, there are certain cultures where ghosts can make people ill. China, especially, where ghosts will try to seduce the living and take their energy until they pass on, so they can be with them in the afterlife. Interesting. Again, that hungry ghost idea. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Huh. And I've I've heard of a. It's not really the same, but I know some. Native American tribes have a theory in regard to ghost sickness, that if you mourn too much, eventually it will consume you and you too will become a ghost. Fascinating. When I had my hypnotic regression, that was something that um, came up was that in one of my, and and again, I'm a little bit back and forth on how much I believe these things, but Hmm. the life to which he regressed me was one where my wife had died and Hmm. I was said to have kind of like a, like, a, like a sadness sickness. Yeah. And according to my recollections from that session, I would wander around the village all day and night, kind of looking for her, but also just being aimless and not knowing what to do without her. Yeah. And the women from the village would bring me food because I kind of couldn't fend for myself anymore. Hmm. So it's, it, it just, uh, just, yeah, came right back to me. It was, we never pinned down, of course, with these things. He never pinned down an actual culture, but... Yeah. yeah, interesting that, that that popped up. I mean, that a depressed guy would be depressed in a past life. I mean, shock. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the most famous example of this is obviously the Banshee, isn't it? Oh, Jesus, of course. I didn't even make the connection. Because, um, uh, yeah, those that hear the Banshee's wail are often earmarked to depart sooner rather than later, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, of course. Children. These stories are from my mother, who I frequently talk to about her life in Vietnam, because I want to be able to pass down the history to my children. Some of her stories are fascinating and happen to be of the paranormal type. My mother is Catholic, and because of that, is on the fence about the paranormal. She's intelligent and level-headed, and does not embellish the stories she recounts. Here are two of those stories. My mother said she and her cousin one saw a transparent white suit, almost like a mist, lay down on my great-grandfather's wooden bed. My mother says that the clothes were very clearly the traditional burial suit one would wear when one had passed on. She thinks it was my great-grandpa, as this happened after his death, and because the suit was just like the nice white suit he was buried in. She also says she was not scared to see it, and felt comforted. The next story is about my grandfather. My mom's family were quite privileged in Vietnam and her father always hung out with the right people and knew how to talk. One day, he and his wife, my grandmother, were going out to have a drink and dinner with their friends. My grandfather always brought his own bottles and carried a large bottle of liquor with him. On this particular night, when he got out of the car, he accidentally dropped the bottle and it shattered. Now out of liquor, My grandfather said he would just go buy another. It's worth noting, he always got the expensive real liquor. There are many fakes in Vietnam, which have always the right brand, but are filled with cheaper alcohol. Since grandpa knew people, he always knew where to go for the real stuff. His friend said it wasn't necessary. He had a bottle at home, and they could just go eat at his place. The friend suggested he and my grandpa go in one car, and the girls go in another 
Well, as they were driving down back, my grandfather began to swerve in and out of the lane they were in. At first his friend didn't say anything, but silently wondered what he was doing as the road was clear. Finally, after a few more swerves, his friend said, What are you doing? I'm trying to avoid those kids on the bike, my grandfather replied. His friend was immediately suspicious since A, he didn't see anyone, and B, there's no way two kids on bikes could keep up with the car. So he told my grandpa he must be imagining things. My grandpa, however, wasn't having it and argued with his friend. They're right there, he said. They're wearing white. How can you not see them? The final time my grandfather changed lanes, he was so focused on these children, whoever or whatever they were, that he didn't see the vehicle coming in the opposite direction. They crashed head-on into a car full of four people on their way home from a wedding party. All four people died in that car at the scene, as did my grandfather. Only his friend survived. The image of the kids on the bikes really reminded me of that movie Once or In the Mouth of Madness. Have you seen yes. that? That always stuck with me. That kid on the bike and the, the uh, baseball card and the spokes, just mm. that clicking noise haunts my nightmares. Yeah. I mean, that's there, are, there is that aspect as well that, you know, certain cultures will have malicious ghosts. Yeah. I mean, were the kids trying to cause the accident? I was thinking that as I was, as I was um, editing it, and I, I feel like... They almost, they must have. Mm. How could they not know what they were doing? Especially because it, it kept, like, you know, as, as the story said, you know, they kept pace with the car. Mm. So, you know, it just seems an odd thing, unless they're totally unconscious. But I don't know. I, I know um, Bob has been very good about um, sharing stories from the Philippines with us and sort of uh, the lore of that area. And I don't know a lot about Vietnam. I know we have some audience members who are from, uh, from Vietnam or of Vietnamese descent. Mm. And, you know, we, we hear a little bit, but I don't know much about, you know, sort of their particular uh, flora and fauna, spiritually speaking. But I have to imagine, just like anywhere, there are things that they just exist to fuck with you. Yeah. Like I said, if you have a story to tell, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the place to send it. If you have any uh, anecdotes about Vietnamese spiritual culture, we'd love to hear that too. And there are other ways to get a hold of us, which we will talk about in the next segment. We'll be right back. Join me every week for They're Not Shadows, stories of the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. I reach the gate for the last time and start running up the short road of the L before turning right and running up the long road. About halfway, I got the feeling that I was being watched. I stopped my run, paused my music and turned around. And that's when I saw it. If it mystifies or terrifies, you'll find it each and every week on They're Not Shadows. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way 
too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is one 456 4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks as always to Luke, Anthony, and Sarah, and the rest of the Ghost Story Guys family for everything they do and for being them. Thanks too, of course, to my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? Um, we have got uh, Haunted Theatres coming up this month. Oh, fantastic. We've got Shelley Covington, Montana, diving into the DNA search for Bigfoot. I've got an episode focusing for the first time on Roswell, which is a subject I've never covered in depth. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. I'm, that's kind of shocking, actually. Yeah, well, you know, I like to stay away from things, but it was too good an opportunity uh, for an interview. So I've got Thomas Carey, who's what he hasn't written about Roswell isn't worth knowing, really. And uh, and then a couple of others. I've got, um, I've got three or four... Uh, Bigfoot-themed episodes. I've got Ron Moorhead coming back soon. Um, and also the marvellous Michelle Soulier, who's just released a, a book about Bigfoot in Maine, which is fantastic. Oh, no, I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find us by searching for Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms. And my website is mysteriesandmonsters.com. Wonderful. You can find me. I'm at uh, Largely the Truth on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, my podcast, Largely the Truth with Bread and Store, is now out everywhere. And if it's not on your podcast player of choice, fire me a message at largelythetruth@gmail.com, and I will make sure to get it there. And we actually have some wonderful news. I can't believe we waited this long to talk about it. <laughs> we have been nominated for not one, but two awards by Paranormality Magazine. Mm-hmm. We have been nominated for Best Ghost Stories Podcast. And we've been nominated for Paranormal Podcast of the Year. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty crazy. We're in there with some real heavy hitters. I, I was actually pretty shocked by this. We were up there with uh, Stories with Sapphire, Somewhere in the Skies, Into the Fray, and I mean, also Let's Get Haunted and Hollow Sky. And I'll be honest, I, I'm not familiar with those latter two, but uh, I know Stories with Sapphire and, I mean, obviously our great friend Shannon at Into the Fray mm. and Ryan at Somewhere in the Skies. Ryan is a 
fucking monster, man. I love Ryan Shaw. It's, yeah, it's just, he's just so good. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. I, I'm not even much of a UFO guy, generally speaking, but um, I just, the, the sheer production value. Mm. And, you know, I, I was saying to you the other day, I remember when Ryan, um, I, I started supporting his Patreon because his microphone broke. Yeah. And he, you know, he was, he was, cash was tight and he needed another one. And, and I didn't even, I never, I don't think I listened to like five shows the entire time I was a patron, but again, you know, he, he needed the support. And so I, I signed up and yeah, that guy doesn't need that help anymore. He is just taken off like a shot. Yeah. He's, he's fabulous. It's, some of his episodes on certain UFO cases are just so, so good. It's, um, I defy anybody who's got a real interest in UFOs. If you've not listened to Somewhere in the Skies, I can't recommend it. For me, it's probably the best UFO podcast in the world. Oh, easily. Yeah, I, I can't think of anyone better. Yeah. And of course, uh, vote for us. For Christ's sakes, vote for us. <laughs> Don't vote for the. They're great, but fuck them. Vote for us. <laughs> yeah, this is where I struggle. I'm not very good at blowing my own trumpet. I mean, I think I'm garbage secretly, but I still want to win the fucking thing. <laughs> Do I deserve it? No, but I want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be one of those. We didn't deserve it, but we're glad we won it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's going to go on my tombstone. <laughs> so you can, you can vote for us by clicking the link you'll find in the show notes. You can also find a link on our Facebook page. Uh, it's also linked on our Instagram bio. All those cool places at ghoststoryguys.com. Yeah, vote early, vote often. Uh, Ghost Story Guys for Best Ghost Stories Podcast and Paranormal Podcast of the Year. Because, by God, we don't deserve it, but we want it. <laughs> so thanks to Paranormality Magazine for nominating us. That is, that is super cool. Yeah, deeply humbling. At the top of the show, I said if you wanted to learn how to become a patron, we'd tell you all about it here. And really, just go to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. And we have tiers all over the place. We have all kinds of cool rewards. I finally got the Patreon to a place where I feel like I'm actually offering real value consistently. You know, we've got Book of the Dead, which is a weekly ghost stories only show. That's just three ghost stories, minimum 10 minutes, usually runs about 10 to 15. Those come out every Friday or Saturday. There's Host Adventures, which is uh, an idea I literally stole from Kev over at We Need to Talk About Ghosts, and Kev's been very good about it, and it's just a 30-minute me free associate monologuing to the audience, and it seems to have gone over very well. There's also Sunken Library, which happens once a month, and there's our monthly live show, which has previously been uh, movie night-ish, but as of this month, we're going to be transitioning to just a live show format. So that's going to be me and Paul hanging out with you guys, shooting the shit, maybe showing some videos. It's just a 45-minute long, yeah, 45-minute long hangout session mm. with me and Paul. And uh, you can find that plus tons of physical rewards and other cool shit over at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. If you want to get in touch, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the best way to do it. But you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at ghoststoryguys and on Instagram at the ghoststoryguys. And if you don't want to type... You can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call Ghost Line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. Thanks to our listener Amber Pease for her Ghost Line jingle.
Again, that's one 588 6920 You can leave your story or comment as one or a series of voicemails, or you can text us at 925-553-4789. And I think that's it in terms of news. Make sure to download, uh, download my new podcast, rate and review it. Check out Mysteries and Monsters if you haven't already. It's a fantastic show. I think I mentioned this before, but in case I didn't, I was on the Grim Reader podcast with uh, Nikki and Becca, and that was a ton of fun. We talked about my favorite crime novel, and uh, I made up a ridiculous story about a communist piano. So if you want to hear me freestyling about absolute bollocks, <laughs> check out episode 35 of the Grim Reader podcast. Man, we, we took that book three times around the dance floor. It was a ton of fun. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you stream your tunes. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. You can find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. Paul, we've actually finished recording this in two and a half hours. That's, that's two hours shorter than last week. <laughs> well, probably three and a half hours, isn't it? Because we had to finish it on a Friday. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Personal growth. Who knew? <laughs> and there'll be another show along in a couple of weeks. Until then, into the darkness we go. You have been validated. <laughs> yeah, that never works for some reason. You'd think. <laughs> like, oh, here's a compliment. Let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> Does that read right to you? No, it reads completely wrong because I'm an idiot. Oh, hang on. Hang on. You misjudged my staggered movement. I forgot I was muted. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I got to think of a, I got to think of a thing. <laughs> my brain. Joe, it's just vapor lock. <laughs> Priest chat. Do you want to talk to other priests? Call priest chat. Priest chat. Priest chat. Where we'll tell you about... Fuck. But, but, well, you know... I'm the scat man. Yeah, I was going to sound just about that. I'm scat man. God almighty. I'm not even high. And I said, you don't want me high having a conversation with you. That's... It's like having a comatose guy sitting at your table. That is of no value to anybody. <laughs> it's like those scenes in Bugs Bunny when he throws the baseball and it comes back with all the stamps from around the world on it. It's like that, but on my brain. Because <laughs> I'm Paul fucking Bistol. <laughs> so who was the original lead singer of Duran Duran? What? How did we get here? <laughs> I believe too, you could be absolutely in your cups and you would snap that information out in a heartbeat. I have no doubt. <laughs> Zencaster. We're better than Zoom, mostly. I, you know, it's movies like that, you wish you could find the people and just interview them, you know? Well, that's one thing you could do to them. I know what I'd like to do to them. <laughs> okay, well, there is, yeah, there is that too. <laughs> I was very proud of myself using the term fecal matter. I don't know where that came from. Well, I mean, I can tell you. <laughs>
when a mummy and a daddy eat too much Taco Bell. There's one in a town near us in Nottinghamshire, in Newark, where they have a where they have a phantom farting ghost. In <laughs> of course, I laughed at that. I'm a child. Uh, I need to apologise. I just thought it was me, not misreading. That's all, mate. Nope, it's my my English skills failing me yet again. <laughs> well, you are Canadian. <laughs>